Welcome back to Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. We're very glad that you continue to support this podcast. You can get the information on any platform uh, where podcasts are played, as well as getting the video content on YouTube. But if you want to just get one place to find all the content, go to my website at drgarrickthesportsdoctor.com and you will find everything on that website. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. All right, so welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. And today we have a special guest. We have Mr. Troy Jones, who is here with the podcast, and he is bringing over 30 years of training experience with the highest level of athletes. Um, he is currently the Director of Performance, Science, and Education at House of Athletes in Florida. Um, but glad to have you on the podcast, and thank you for bringing your wealth of knowledge today. Man, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Heard great Absolutely. things. And I'm looking forward to just having a good conversation. Yeah. So before we hit record, we started seeing some connections that we have from West Baltimore. I mentioned that's where my wife's family is born and raised. Um, so definitely glad to have that connection with you. And also a friend of Derek Spike Richards. So anybody that's a friend of Spike is a friend of mine and definitely a friend of this podcast. Hey, I like that. Be more West Side. That's where I'm from as well. So those connections run deep. And uh, Spike is a person who I admire and I respect in this industry. So um, he's smart. Uh, he's a risk taker. He He's a scientist at heart. And uh, he uses his experience to really pour into athletes uh, and that's what you want. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. So, Sure, sure. So, you know, I know that you train some of the top athletes in the world or are still training some of the top athletes in the world from Javonta Davis and working with a lot of the professional athletes in the NFL and NBA. So let's talk about and everybody wants we know that in sports these days, everybody's looking for that edge. Right. Um, and then there's certain people that are just really elite as athletes. But I feel like work ethic mindset all of those things play a role in developing the full athlete right um, so just kind of talk about number one let's talk about first your background growing up in baltimore and how that still plays a role in how you train athletes today man yeah that's a long <laughs> that's a long <laughs> well i tell you one thing i like to always tell people that uh you ever heard of your steps were ordered absolutely I wanted to play. God had other plans. Uh, me chasing the dream of wanting to be a professional athlete, wanting to play at the highest level possible, turned into a passion that helped teach and educate athletes on how that process should, could come to life if done correctly and if coached correctly. I'd always felt like I was never coached up to the level that I aspired to be. Granted that I had some abilities but I always felt like something was missing. I come from a family of educators. So the knack of teaching, I stumbled upon it. I didn't, you know, like I said, I wanted to play, but I always had a way of uh, being able to communicate with people and giving great instruction when it came down to sports and then, and then had that attention to detail in regards to looking at the small things, understanding that early, that, that makes the biggest difference. Locking in on those things. Um, I could be, I played baseball coming up at a high level and I can go three for five or three for four in a game, home run, double, triple, whatever. I'm thinking about the strikeout because the one time I got out was strikeout. What could I have done better? Just use that as an example. 
And I began to just carry into researching and coaching myself, even though I would have my coaches, I would go to practice. I would do the things that I would do to check the box to be able to keep progressing through the system. But trying to figure out what I can do to separate myself from the masses was always right in front of me in regards to what my brain, how my brain would think. And I would look at everything in slow motion. So it kind of just, when I begin to work out and train and, and people would see how I set things up, they would just look from afar and like, well, why did you do that? Well, what did you do this for? What was your reasoning and thought behind process behind this? And they would want to participate. And uh, I looked at it, it was like, I'm just trying to be the best that I could possibly be. So I got to make some money. I can't, I can't sit here and chase a dream and, you know, for so long and not be successful at it. And when you get to the higher levels of sports, the competition is so great. Everybody's good. So you got to try to find something to separate yourself from the masses. And I was thinking this is going to help me separate. And then stumbling into training and people watching me do this and wanting to be a part. And then when things did not line up the way I wanted to from a playing career standpoint, I knew I didn't want to sit behind a desk. So I pretty much said, how can I generate revenue, still be involved in the sport that I love the most or, 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 tr- or some kind of aspect of sports that I love dearly to my heart and still impact the masses at a high level? And so I began to just tinker and experiment with the people who would come in and watch and they started joining in. And then all of a sudden these people start getting these results and started improving. And then I started diving deeper and deeper into the whole concept of what the athlete looks like. Um, and this is what I'll sum it up to. It came to me almost like once I got to a certain point the way I began to tinker, I felt like, all right. I, I know what I want to do. I want to create the ultimate athlete. And that's my goal today. Up to today, 30 years later, I'm still trying to simplify a system to create the ultimate athlete that layers or encompasses all sports. Because human movement is human movement. It's just the stimulus, which is the, the ball, the surface, the environment that changes. But movement stay, across the board stays the same and efficient movement. We all have gifts, obviously. You know, but then maximizing those gifts and trying to create adaptations to improve upon the sport that they play. Because I always look at, and I don't want to go on a tangent because I will, because I love to talk. I always look at, because we live in a society right now that's so skill set dominant that everybody's just overly training skills. And I tell them at the end of the day, guys, you know, being the best athlete will power the skill. You look at the greatest athletes in the world. They're skillful, but their skill wasn't what made them great. It was their athleticism, their ability to do everything smooth, explosive, dynamic, but very smooth and in control. They never looked like they were straining it. Everything was effortless. And that's because they were so gifted and athletic. So if you're moving really, really well, it's going to only power the skill set to function at a high level. So to sum it up, that's kind of what I fell in love with. My first 50 athletes that I started training from a youth perspective, uh, years later, I look up, 30 of them went professional, all of them went to college, and that's how it all began. And I just wow. turned it to where it is now, all these years later. And I always look up and wonder, hey, you know, I mean, God, you definitely had a plan because this is not something I wanted to do for sure. But I'm grateful for it, and uh, I like to talk about it, and I, and I like to share the journey so people can get an idea. Anybody can actually do it. You don't have to know everything. You just have to have a desire to want to be good at it. And yeah. I think that's the only thing that may separate me from everyone else. 
Sure, sure. I like that. First of all, you gave a lot of meat to chew on with that answer. Just like you mentioned, it didn't work out playing ball, didn't work out playing baseball. You know, I was smart enough to know about my sophomore year of high school, professional athletics. Now, if you asked me when I was eight or 10, I was going to the NFL. Mm -hmm. uh, but soon after that, I realized that's not what your career is going to be. However, being in sports medicine and being an orthopedic surgeon still allows me access into that arena, still keeps me in touch with the elite athletes. And, you know, I still get that same drive trying to motivate or trying to get athletes to their optimal performance, whether it's recovering from an injury or trying to prevent an injury uh, with injury prevention and sports performance. So I like that answer. Uh, but also you mentioned about athleticism versus being a very skilled athlete. And I think especially with youth sports right now, we see a lot of really skilled athletes, especially when you start talking about sports like baseball, where they've been just trained, trained, trained so well to hit a ball, throw a ball. But the athleticism piece, even with basketball players, I talk to athletes all the time where they're dribbling a ball 10, 11, 12 months of the year. And I say, you know, when's the last time you've been to the gym? Tell me about your workout program. And it's just like a blank stare. So the athleticism piece and training people to be an athlete, if we look at the NFL draft alone, these kids, many of them are multi-sport athletes. They're not just good football players. But it's hard to get people to grasp that piece. You know, they're under so much demand from a coach to be on this team and that team. And under, you know, scrutiny from parents and other people to just continue to play that sport. Uh, so talk about developing an athlete versus just a skilled player. What's the difference with that? So I'm glad you touched on that. One of the, the big pet peeves I have is let's use baseball, for example. And we, you, you're familiar with Tommy John surgery. Um, Correct. You look at let's look at who Tommy John was. Tommy John was an adult when I was probably in my early teens, late preteens. Uh, the California Angels, I believe, he was a left-handed pitcher, I believe. I just can't remember, but I did remember him well because he blew his elbow out. Um, when he blew it out back then, that was a career-ending injury. And when they did that surgery, surgery, it was revolutionary. But he was 30, 31 years old in the major leagues. So right. you got a 30. So how much volume was placed upon this guy's arm? over the course of being a 31-year-old professional athlete from his youth up to that point, and he had that injury, why are 10, 11, 12-year-olds having that same exact injury? Right. That's a volume built. That's a volume-related injury. So you're talking about how is a kid even exposed to that type of – that amount of throws and torque being put on their body at that early stages of development that they're not ready for from a structural standpoint. That's almost, it's irresponsible. And I, I get passionate about it because it's an over usage injury that can be controlled if the parent will only didn't think about their own internal goals. Cause I don't know if those goals, cause I don't know if a kid's going to push himself that much to be exposed with that kind of volume. And I get passionate about it because I start showing people the studies when I speak about youth sports and the amount of throws that an athlete puts on his bot on his arm on a daily basis, and they have no clue, and they right. don't track it. And then when you start talking about the number, they be like, "Wow, I had no idea." So I guess my point is, there no one should be exposed to that kind of volume at that young age, just their body's just not developed for it. Tommy John at 31 years old, and you got a 12 year old has the same exact injury. That shouldn't happen. Absolutely, so I, and it's not a remote thing now to find like you mentioned 
12, 13, especially once you get into that high school realm, 15, 17. And then some parents will say, let's go ahead and get it over with early, which is the most That's <laughs> insane. Yeah, I've <laughs> let's, heard. Let's go ahead and get it, you know, let's get it over with. It, it'll make his velocity better. Make his yeah. velocity increase. Yeah, it's crazy. And what they don't realize is that for if you have shoulder problems, elbow problems, and you're going into the draft, there are so many other kids with a clean medical slate that they can just take your application and throw it in the trash can because there's another person who's just as good with a healthy, clean slate. You know, so yeah, I can, like you mentioned, I get passionate about that as well, especially, you know, we see it the most probably glaringly in baseball athletes, but we're starting to see, you know, girls not, not having any pitch limit in fast pitch softball. So we're yeah. starting to see shoulder stuff come out. Um, you know, soccer athletes, especially for female athletes, you already know where we're going with this mm-hmm. with ACLs and not having the proper training of the neuromuscular training, how to change position, how to land, how to cut. We just stick them out on the field and they're playing year round, you know, and the muscle imbalance of just using those same muscles over and over. And I know that's one thing that you really focus on is kind of muscle imbalance and how to even from a, a day-to-day people to using a computer sitting at the desk all the time. So uh, just kind of talk about how do you reverse some of the imbalances that are created by doing the same sport over and over? One of the big things for me is the ability for an athlete to be able to absorb impact, absorbing forces before you can actually apply them. In retrospect, efficiency within movement patterns. I try to get athletes moving well, joint by joint, and understanding what movement feels like and that's because i don't want them to think about it i more so dive into how to just let's use for example i'm a big single leg guy i'm not going to use the terms that we use because i don't want to cause a lot of confusion if someone's listening yeah. to this podcast but i'm a big single leg guy before i have people do things on two legs um from a strength component from standpoint because i feel like sports is played on one leg majority of the time so it, but when i build that stability when i build that efficiency within that movement pattern and I, you know, a lot of people only think I might have a person just sitting there trying to balance. No, I'm actually giving them some type of stability, but I'm reinforcing the movement pattern on that one leg. So I would say motor control and efficiency within movement patterns is first. Trunk stability in that process is second, but a close 1A, maybe 1B, and then absorbing an impact and transferring force, but being able to absorb force first. Because my trunk has to be stable for those forces to transfer back through. So in my early return to play protocols, I put everybody through a return to play protocol. We have to check the box on those things before we can graduate to any type of loads. And then those external loads aren't just always weights or it can be time. It could be to watch on how long a person might be in an isometric position. It could be a yielding isometric. It could be variations of uh, me putting them into unstable situations where they have to find stability because at the most of the ACL injuries just use that for example are because people aren't very stable and they don't have that motor control and they now have that pelvic awareness to where they when they begin to transition in from change of direction movement patterns they get caught up so we get control of that trunk torso and that pelvis get strong on one single leg absorb force well and then we progress from there I love that you keep bringing up these high yield and controversial topics, you know, return to play. Right. So (laughs) what is return to play? Because, you know, you usually get these athletes, right. They see me, 
They had surgery. The clock's been ticking, right? They might have been going to therapy. They might have not been going to therapy. They might have trained with you. They might have not trained with anyone. But when that clock hits six months, nine months, whatever the textbook might say, it's the time to be cleared for your sport. They feel that it's time to not only go back to the sport, but go back 100%. Hmm. And we know that there is a gray zone, a huge gray zone between being physically ready from a biological standpoint, you know, your graft is healed or whatever, but from a functional standpoint, it's totally different. And what you're doing is testing the athlete to make sure that they are ready to play at an optimal state versus they come to see me for 15 minutes. They answer every question correctly. I say, you know, range your joint. They don't, they have full range of motion, no swelling or anything. And I'm checking a box saying return to your sport. So talk about that kind of return to play, what you're looking at in an athlete when you're trying to say you're ready to get back to your sport. One of the first things to me when I look at it is an athlete comes back, you know, when they're coming off from treatment and when they've been approved and they want to just stick them back out in the field, their ability, like I said, to always look at absorbing and transferring forces. Okay. Because as we know, once you have an injury, your body will downregulate any type of force transfer through that area. So, it's already has a pattern that's been recreated to bypass whatever pain thresholds that's being involved on that side of the body, the ankle, the knee, or wherever it's at. So there's going to be some disruption of a movement pattern there. You have to restore that first. Okay. And in the process of restoring that, you got to let the brain know, keyword brain, that it's okay to transfer forces back up through that, whatever injured limb there is, whatever that issue is. So, I just like to start out with isometrics because that begins a way to reach ranges of motion that they have not been in in a while because of maybe they've been in a situation where they've been non-weight bearing. And I have all types of variations of isometrics just to get used, get the body used to getting into those positions that were competitive, whether they were a rotational athlete, a soccer player, a change of direction athlete, anything matter what their sport is getting them back into those ranges of motion to where they can feel load and fall in love with the ground again because that's the first thing that goes your ability to absorb and transfer forces from the ground uh depending on where the injury it is i'm looking at things above it and below it to see how those things are functioning to make sure i start getting that motor control and those joints working together in sequence for the muscle pattern that's required for absorption our projection of the hips, max velocity from a hip whip standpoint, depending on where we are and what we're progressing to, patterns for me, beginning with absorption is always going to take precedence because most injuries are deceleration based, where something within that torso and that trunk didn't transfer correctly or they lost stability. And that's why those joints went in multiple directions that caused the major injury. So if you cannot demonstrate that you can do that. And from a standpoint, let's, let's say uh, ball slams, uh, variations of ball slams. You can do all kinds of things with ball slams if you're creative enough. Let's just use that as an example. Once you can demonstrate you graduate through these stages of absorbing forces and then adding external loads, then I started, I'll start trying to be more challenging and getting you ready to go out to the field and start doing those things at higher speeds or higher velocities and gradually build into that. So we'll go from stationary and then speed up stationary to gradual half speed up to full and work our way up to full speed before I allow that athlete to really get true return to play where they'll get out there and get competitive. And we'll really get 
tonight, you know, we'll get after it in our training sessions, especially when we get to that cognitive aspect of where we're getting everything to be reactive because nothing applies forces greater than the brain when it's processing information in real time. So when we get good at that, that's when I say, okay, now it's time for you to go back. Because now you're not guarded anymore. You're not thinking anymore. You're just responding to stimuli when you see it. And that's true sports. If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. And you'll see kids back on that court and it might take them a year to get to where you're talking about, to where yeah. you were acting instead of thinking. Mm -hmm. That's when you're playing at your highest level and you're going to be safe to protect that limb and yeah. prevent further injury. You know, and that's, I love just sitting up here listening to you talk because I know that if I send an athlete to you, they're in good hands because many times you have a trainer and they have one list or one sheet, one workout for athletes, but the personalized care and the ability to think through all these different aspects is something that, you know, makes you an elite trainer and why you're trusted with elite athletes. So, you know, Thank kudos you. on that. Thank you. Thank uh, you. And then the mindset piece. So you mentioned being able to get your body and your mind to work together, uh, but the mindset piece. So I'm going to be a confession here on my podcast. So a month ago when we booked this, right, I told you how 2020, 2018, 2020, I was optimal, right? I was working out with Spike. I was running. I got up to running like a 10K. And then life happens, COVID, you, you come up, you find a reason to come up with excuses or whatever. And I slowly started to slide away and the distance gets larger and larger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we, I booked this interview, I was practically almost doing nothing. You know, I recently had a move. I got plenty of reasons why I can't work out. Right. But immediately you went to the mindset piece. You say, you know, look yourself in the mirror, talk to that person in the mirror and take away their excuses. And, you know, I've been working out for the last two or three weeks three, four, five times because of that challenge, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, some of the hardest people I've trained have a niche of being able to get into your mind, you know, as they're pushing your body to these extremes. So talk about that mindset piece of training, not only elite athletes, but training weekend warriors, training that 30, 40 year old mother who hasn't done anything for years. Talk about the mindset piece behind it. I used to always say it. I had this saying that I was always afraid to be average. I was afraid to be like everybody else. Anything I was involved in, I wanted to just be the best at it to myself before. I wasn't really, you know. And I started, one of my first sayings I used to use to these athletes, they say, it's easy to be average, it's hard to be great. Sacrifice, or oh, greatness is achieved through sacrifice. I started coming up with all these sayings that, to really try to get people to think differently out the box about their day-to-day -day lives and their, their routine, uh, championship routine. Uh, what can I put together that I lock myself in daily to, and, and stay disciplined with an, and move with intent every single day? And that the word intent begin to dominate the thought process. If I'm not moving with intent every day, I, don't, I have no purpose. So if you're going to be involved in anything, 
what's your intent behind it? And if people start saying, oh, your why, things of that matter, it all still comes down to the intent behind everything you do on a daily basis. If you have, and sports specifically, if you are built your routine out, if you're looking at your calendar, of course, you have to be agile because you have to adapt to the day-to-day based on what your body's telling you and how it's feeling. But the goal should still be laid out long-term with short-term successes built in towards being great. And how I try to challenge that athlete when they come in the door is the first thing, I take it down to the day. When they walk into the door, I don't know what their thought process is going to be. They could have just had an argument with their wives. They could have just had an argument with their agent. It could be a kid that just had an argument with their mom or somebody pissed them off in school. I got to reset that right at the door. And I, I reset it because I challenge them. And I always say, and it's funny because I can say any, I was, I don't know what I'm going to say. I just know I'm going to say something. So just open your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say something slick out of my mouth to challenge them. <laughs> like, like, like I had a guy come in today, he's eight-year vet, came in the day. So I was like, I saw him sitting down. I saw him walking through, and I was finishing up with another athlete. And he had his uh, wide receiver coach with him. So I see him sitting down. He's looking. So I just came over and just flexed, stood like this, looked at him, and just started mugging him. And then all he could just feel the energy like, this dude getting ready to come at me today. <laughs> so he's like, oh, that's the energy you bring into that? You can see the competitiveness come about them. Right. So I kind of use that competitive fire against them. The one thing people – enjoy about your environment your culture is your ability to challenge them which they'll turn into some type of motivation to push themselves so you have to put the ball back into their court and make something competitive to where they forget about everything that they're dealing with and you put them in a certain zone in that moment where you lock them in i don't that it's different for everybody but it's more it's the art of getting to know that individual and what makes them tick and when you get to know them more, you know what buttons to push. Most right. pro athletes are competitive. And I think the world doesn't understand how extremely competitive they are. They will try to win a hot dog eating contest. If you <laughs> they compete with everything. So I always initiate a lot of those guys. I initiate something like a heavyweight fight. I always say, hey, we're going 12 rounds a day. Okay. You know I'm undefeated. I'm going to beat you every time. But, but, but. And then I was, all of a sudden, that's when it begins. And as I'm yeah. talking to them and I see them starting out, I said, that jab's starting to sting, ain't it? What? That You ain't saying it. You know, so it's starting, you know. I said, then I said, this next block, I'm coming with some combos, some body shots, I'm ready to dig in you. They always, and again, it's just challenging them to want to buy into what you have come, upcoming to them to prepare themselves as the workout gets more and more daunting because of fatigue and to try to finish strong. And before you know it, they've gotten through it. They've pushed through it. And their, their mindset, they're almost grateful for that. Because whatever they had that might have been disturbing them before the workout, they don't even remember it anymore. They'll right. just move on past it. So, And they know that at some point, not, if it's not a game but in life, they're going to go back to that moment. And that same mindset is going to click. And that's what's going to make them successful when it's late in the yep. fourth quarter or you know, when the boss is on your back and you got this deadline to meet. I have a former athlete um, that I'm really close to. You know, he's posting over the weekend, former quarterback, so used to film study. And he's up all night preparing for a proposal on his job. But you go back to that same, I can do this because, you know, I've done it before. And I know what it's like to have my back up against the wall. So I think that there's so many things and so many 
things that an athlete skill sets that they have that will, you know, translate to being a great CEO, a great professional, but they don't have them on their resume. And I think a lot of that's because of the training process. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people that, that the athlete's kryptonite is their confidence. If you break their confidence, you break their ability to be successful. But how do you build on that confidence? Winning challenges. The more challenges you win, the more confident you become. So I'm always challenging them to win, even though the goal for me is to make sure that they're getting it, they're improving over time. But if I put enough small challenges in them where they feel like they're being beaten because the challenge is pretty, it's a big task. And when they accomplish that, it just gives them more and more confidence each session. And they buy, that's when you get the buy-in. And when you get the buy-in, the confidence level begins to increase. Um, and then when they go to the sport, I tell guys all the time, they go in in season, dude, you're a beast. You know, you play, you're at that level for a reason. Don't doubt yourself. Play at that level. Don't let, you know, don't let that contract negotiation interfere with your ability to go out there and be successful. You're already been, you're already playing at the highest level attained in the world. So why are you, why is there a doubt right now? It shouldn't be. Sometimes they just need that little bit of a reset. You give them that, man. They go out there, you know, shoot next time, they four for four. They don't score three touchdowns, you know, kickoff return the whole nine, no matter what the sport is, drop 30 on the court. It's just reminding them who they are. And sometimes when we're in our small environments of training, that's what I'm doing constantly. Just from exercise to exercise, set to set, just finding some way to challenge them. And if they're up to accept that, you'll see growth and you'll see adaptations and you see it carry over to the field. Yeah. So the buy-in and the momentum that comes along with small victories, mm -hmm. that can be used in any realm of life, whether it's athleticism, work, family, whatever, it all applies. So that's beautiful. Applies. Yep. Well, on Time Out with the Sports Doctor, this is your final timeout. So first of all, thank you for your time. You know, thank you for bringing this wealth of knowledge to uh, the podcast. But what I want you to do, you know, most people will say, okay, he's training with these elite athletes. Sure. You know, but it hasn't, you didn't just walk into this job, right? No. Like you mentioned, you've taken your life experience, you've taken failures, you've taken success, and you've used that all to get to where you are now. So just speak to that person who has large dreams and, you know, things might not be going exactly the way that they want them right now, but how they can push through adversity to still, you know, achieve success in the end. You know, it's a cliche that you have to believe. First of all, your gifts will make room for you. And if you truly believe you're operating within your gifts, then you have to walk in faith in that and you have to trust that process, but you have a responsibility to pour into that gift so it can be expanded upon. That's totally on you, but you first start, you have to first and start with your belief. If you believe in that, that's what you're supposed to do, then you do everything in your power to be successful at it. Got to do the rest. Is there a time and there's a window where you're not achieving the things that you feel like you should check yourself out of that? Because a lot of the times we fall short is because of our own expectations. There should be any expectation you put on yourself because then you're not allowed to embrace the process of development. There is a process that God puts you through. And I'm a man of faith that that time's needed for you to develop for what he has planned for you in the future. But he's not going to allow you to move too fast if you're not ready because then you're going to squander it. So be patient and embrace it. The journey changes anyway right. doing that process. It's, that's where all the fun is. It's in the process of learning all the skills that develop over time. And when you look up, 
you're like, oh shoot, you might some you'll reach a point that you might forget some of the just as much as you are gaining knowledge as you're growing and developing at whatever you're trying to do. My first, all my athletes were children in the beginning. Some of them athletes that were children are now pros that I'm still coaching to this day. Five and six year old, eight, nine years in the league. How many people can say that? At the time, I was like, this has got to happen. Yeah. But now, I mean, you know, I have a story to tell. But if I wasn't, when I had to check myself, when I started getting, putting these self-expectations in front of me of what I felt like I should be. And we live in a society now to where it's crazy because of social media. And you see all these things just distracting, telling you where you should be at this stage of your career. No, your journey is your journey. And your timing of when it's time for you to blossom will come. But stay within that and keep trusting that process. And I don't even want to use the cliche, trust the process, walk in faith. And things are coming together for you. Yeah. You versus you. I mean, you can only truly compete with that man in the mirror. And that's what you were talking about. You get in the mirror, yell at yourself, whatever you got to do with that person in the mirror, because truly at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody else around you is doing. They can't make you do what you need to do. Yeah. Because as soon as you start looking at somebody else, now you've made them the standard. Right. Why do that? Yeah. Yeah, you, no, I you, love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, you compete within yourself. Your standard is what you become and what you commit to yourself to be the best version of yourself. That's where your focus should be. And things will fall right in line. You'll look up, you're like, wow. Sometimes I still don't get that I'm training some of the best, best athletes in the world. Or I'm speaking in front of a men. I'm like, why are they here to speak? Why are they here to listen to me? I'm kidding from <laughs> West Baltimore, you know? Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's like, I just I'm grateful and I embrace it and I keep moving forward and I keep looking to get better every single day. 30 plus yeah. years later, I'm still doing the same thing. There you go. Your room, your gifts will make room for you. So thank you. You know, you know, I've really enjoyed this talk and it's going to be a blessing to many others. Tell people how they can follow what you're doing. You know, if somebody wants to tap in to try to get training or get their athletes trained with you, how can they find you? I'm at House of Athlete. I'm Director of Performance Science and Education here at House of Athlete in Western Florida. We have a location in Western and a location in Tampa, Florida. I'm also about to release an education system in regards to creating the ultimate athlete across the board from all aspects of training um, in collaboration with a company called Exogen and Lila, which is a premier wearable company for speed and or athletic training that's wearables that are designed to problem solve and progress in real time, meaning at high speeds. Uh, we're getting ready to do our first collaboration, uh, I would say, certification in early August. Um, this is their first time being in the States. They've actually been all over the world. So we got a lot of good things and upcoming things that can educate the masses on what we do, the things that we've been successful at. And uh, it's time for us to share those journeys and share those stories so we can help other coaches and trainers get better. So if you can check me out at, uh, I would say, Coach Troy Jones, Instagram, you know, I'm an old guy. So the Instagram thing, yeah, I think I it's Coach underscore Troy Jones at IG and uh, House of Athlete in Western Florida. Just send me out an email at Coach Troy Jones at houseofathlete.com and uh, we can talk about some things and get you set up. Yeah. And hey, once you get this launched, we can have you back on to kind of promote what you're doing with that as well. Okay. Um, Sounds yeah. Good. So any way that I can support your endeavors, just let me know. I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. Absolutely.
Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode. Until later, peace. Hey, time out with the sports doc. Keep our head right in the game. We ain't never stopping. You are now tuned in. Trust, you don't want to miss. This is where life, sports, and medicine.